Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with the most interesting voices in the sport. We have another special show for you. It's the third day of our one-year anniversary celebration of Under Review, and we are super excited about this one. First, we brought you Sophia Kennan. Then we brought you Belinda Benchich with a breakdown of the ladies' draw by super coach Michael Joyce. And today, we're going to finish our conversation with Joyce. This time, we'll talk the men. But first, she is arguably the hottest thing in tennis, winning Auckland, Indian Wells, and then becoming the first Canadian to win the Canadian Open in 50 years. And she had a tough injury to deal with in between. World number 15, Bianca Andrescu, is going to tell us what this meteoric year has been like, how getting bored on the court led to her unique game and which Canadian recording artist she wants played as she enters center court. We met up with Bianca on the court at Louis Armstrong Stadium during media day. She was signing tennis balls for some fans, and we decided to pop off an interview with her as we walked through the alleys and the tunnels of the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. We were literally walking past her adoring fans, our past guests, and even the Bryan brothers who were just finishing up a practice. It was surreal, it was fun, and we have it for you today. Bianca! You're so young, it's so pretty! <laughs> You're so pretty! Oh, thanks, thank you. So, alright, do it. Do you mind Yo, we're with Bianca Andreescu at the media day, and she is signing, and we're doing a walk and talk through. Yes, we are. It's going to be the Thank best. You, um, you want one? What's your heart? Thank you. She signs with the big B, the B, the B and the A. You're very clear. Gotta make it as short as yeah. possible. <laughs> yeah, but it looks good though, the B in the A. Oh, one more? Yeah, two boys, thank you. Thank you so much. Good no luck. problem, thank you. I didn't even know if you Normally we do a three set format. First set, we typically call it the player's lounge, but we're actually gonna be walking by the player's lounge, so this is set one with Bianca Andrescu. Oh, God, my arms are hurting. <laughs> yes, thank you. Is this cool? Yes. That's good. We are walking, we are literally walking off the court and into the bowels of the stadium with pretty much the hottest player on tour. So, listen, we saw you on, like, court 2000 in Newport Beach. <laughs> Um, That's a good way to put it. <laughs> and you were grinding in the middle of nowhere with seven people watching. And since then, it's been unbelievable. And you won it, which was also part of the story. Yeah, you have to start somewhere, right? Um, but yeah, after coming off that win, I think it gave me a lot of confidence for the rest of the season. I know I did well in Auckland, too, so... I think that helped me win Newport as well. It just felt like so, you got so matched tough throughout the top of the year. Just match after match oh, after yeah, match. Oh, yeah, yeah, I played a lot of tournaments um, and a lot of matches this year. So. All right, listen, we just buzzed through Louis Armstrong Stadium. 
we have like crossed to Arthur Ashe Stadium. The fans are are now basically they've spotted her and they're coming over for more pictures and they got balls to sign. Um, Security is just starting to clear the path. Here we go. Here we go. We're going through right now. But but you get to Indian Wells. I mean, how were you feeling? I was on cloud nine the whole week. All week. All week. Indian Wells. It seems like you just had like an unbelievable tournament. Yeah. Every round I was winning was just a bonus for me. Uh, I wasn't expecting to win the tournament. Just like in Toronto, I wasn't expecting anything because I was off for so long. So being able to capture the title at both events was a dream come true. And and um, when you when you finished in Indian Wells, you beat Kerber. Did you feel like you should have taken Miami off, or do you just you felt good and you just want to keep going? Yeah, I was feeling good. Uh, my shoulder wasn't a cons- like a big concern after Indian Wells. It was more during Miami where it started bothering me a lot. But you had maybe that one now, long, long match with Buznarescu. Yes, but maybe now looking back at it, maybe I should have just cooled that week. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's what I did after Toronto. I didn't want to play Cincy because I was having some groin issues. So I think I made the right decision there. Yeah. I mean, obviously better to take off a tournament than a season. Um, After Miami, that must have been really tough for you. I guess the time I was off during my injury wasn't such a bad thing. I got a lot of stuff done and surprisingly, I ended up winning Toronto after being off for that long. So... I mean, I felt like when you when you played Bouchard tight and came through that match, it seemed like you shook the cobwebs off. Basically. And then the match with Casacchino was incredible. Yeah, it was a shocker playing a Canadian first round at the Rogers Cup, but it was an unbelievable match. The crowd was insane. Um, and it was nice to share the court with another Canadian tennis player, knowing that we're both at the top, which was really nice. When you won that tournament, I mean, did you did Drake just buy out a nightclub? You- I wish. <laughs> no, I haven't heard from Drake yet. <laughs> I'm still waiting on that, but <laughs> one day, one day. And what did you do from since Toronto till really till now? I mean, do you just like <laughs> just do fitness, kind of recover? Yeah, I celebrated with my friends and family, obviously. I actually had the time to process everything. Not like at Indian Wells when I just went directly to Miami. Yeah, so it was nice to have that opportunity. And um, I worked a lot physically to get ready for New York. So I'm feeling fresh. You feel good? I'm feeling really, really good. I mean, uh, we saw you in Albany quickly at that Aurora Games. I mean, you... You guys don't joke. I mean, you were in the gym two hours. You're on the court. I mean, you're doing fitness every day. Yep, yep. Um, Yeah, that event was really fun. I got to know some of the girls more. um, Seemed like you were having fun. Which is really nice, yeah. It's nice to be a part of events like that just because tennis is such an individual sport. So it's nice to be part of the group and amazing, strong women. It was nice, right? Yes. How would you describe your game to someone that never saw it? What would you say about it? Well, I have a lot of variety in my game. I like to just throw off my opponents with whatever I have. Um, And I was like that ever since I was little. I think it's because I was getting bored on the court, so I just wanted to be creative. 
and I saw that I was winning matches by doing that, so I just kept improving it during practice. And you love to smoke the forehand. I love to smoke the forehand and the drop shot. And you like to dink it. <laughs> um, what was it, what's it been like to play through pain? What was that like for you? I don't like it at all, <laughs> but this is what I signed up for. This is the life of an athlete. So during those situations, I try not to focus on the pain. I know it's hard, but I think the best advice I can give myself is just to focus on my tactics because when I do, then everything just goes Feels the way better. I want it. Yeah, and, exactly. and how did you come up in tennis? Where did your tennis begin? How did it started you start? in Romania, actually. Um, my parents had worked there, so we were going back and forth for maybe two years. And so uh, before that, though, my parents just threw me into every sport, so I was a pretty active child. And then once I picked up a tennis racket, I forgot about everything else and just stuck with it. So which one is it? Romanian via Canada? Were you born? No, I was born in Canada. Born in Canada. Born and raised in Canada. So if you go to Romania, will they have, like, will they fill a stadium for you? Is it, are you, like, back there? My uh, parents have been telling me that everyone in Romania is going crazy. Really? My success. So, yeah, if I go there sometime soon, I think it's going to be pretty hectic. It'll be buck wild. But I really, yeah, I really love the support, and I feel all the love from both nations, so I'm really grateful for that. With all our guests, we do 10-ball scramble. This is the set we call the 10-ball scramble. I say something, you say what comes right into your mind. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Favorite city? Toronto. Favorite tournament? Rogers Cup. <laughs> On-court coaching? Uh, no. Off-court coaching from the box? No. Prize money? Oh, wait. Is this a yes or no question? Or so whatever like you what? want. Whatever comes into your mind. Oh, I like okay. yes or no. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, there can be some equality. You want some more equality? For sure. Best win? Finals of Indian Wells. Curver. Curver. That was a, that was yes, a great win. Yes, it was. Worst loss? Ooh. Oh, last year in Japan. What oh, happened? No, no, no. Last year, Australian Open. I forgot how to play tennis. I literally couldn't put a ball in the court. I lost 0-1. Two. Qualies. Um. Can't even remember. No, I actually don't remember. <laughs> Toughest opponent. Do you have somebody that just makes you crazy? Even from being a child, I don't know. Is there someone that really gives you a hard time or you don't want to say? <laughs> Kazakina. She's rough stuff. She's got a lot of junk in her trunk too. So I guess I know how people feel when they play me. <laughs> okay, this is our third and last set. We call this the queen of the courts. Okay. If you can change anything in tennis, could anything with one swing of the racket, what would it be? Not on the court, but any anything. Any, anything. I would say that we should be able to choose our walkout song on the court. What would yours be? Probably something from Drake. Something funky. <laughs> yeah. From the six. From the six, my homeboy. Because <laughs> um, it shows your personality and it's nice. It gets you pumped up, ready for the match. Bianca Andreescu wants to pick her own music moving <laughs> forward. I feel like that is a... Um, Doable. 
I think it's doable. It's hugely doable. Um, listen, Maybe no cussing words, but... Oh, you got to keep it clean. Yeah, for the clean children. version. Um, <laughs> listen, thank you for uh, sitting, spending some time with us. We enjoyed this walk through the uh, Armstrong so and Ashley. <laughs> and uh, have a great tournament. Thank you so much. You are released. Thank you to Bianca Andrescu. That was a lot of fun. Speaking of fun, if you want to play some tennis with top-level pros, head over to our Patreon page and see what everyone is talking about. You can hit around with former guests like Chucky Adams and Ashley Harkleroad, or join in on one of the Invesco Series VIP events where you can play with champions and former guests like Jim Currier and Mats Villander. You can find it all at patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. And not only do you get great perks, but you help us keep things going and under review. And we really, really appreciate it. That's patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash underreviewtennis. Let's get back to our discussion of the men's draw with a true insider and superstar coach Michael Joyce. Michael is at the Open this year coaching the Hungarian player Tomeja Babos. In the past, he's worked with Azarenka, Kanta, Pegula, Bouchard, and he coached Maria Sharapova through a championship at the Open. He also has been here as a player himself, as a junior and a pro. First of all, we're in room 509 at the Lexington Hotel. Uh, Michael Joyce, who's probably attended or played in, what, 25 U.S. Opens? Hey, yeah, Played 15, maybe coached 12, something like that. My man, what's one of the most interesting things that ever happened to you at the U.S. Open? Uh, I mean, I have a couple. Uh, one year, I qualified, won my first round, uh, and I was going to play Jim Courier, who was number one in the world at the time. And I remember I really thought I was going to beat him. This, I really thought I had practiced with him. I felt like I had a good shot. I won four matches. Played first match, 11 o'clock on the stadium. This is before Ash. You first on center. Yeah, first on center. And I knew it was on TV because the night before I saw USA. The match is on, 11. It had my name. And uh, I remember getting out there, and all of a sudden I couldn't play. I just was like, I remember being tight as a drum. Everything seemed out of whack. I remember going to, I lost the first set 6-1 in about 20 minutes. I went to the back to get my towel. I had people saying, come on, Joyce, we bought these tickets. You know, you know, we're, yeah, we, we paid a lot of money, put it, give us a match. I heard every little thing. I ended up losing 6-1, 6-2, 6-2, and it felt much worse. I went straight off the mat, straight with my bag, with my sweaty shirts, straight to the subway and took the subway home because I didn't want to see my parents. They flew in for the match and everything. Yeah. Lights out, baby. That's it. I mean, people don't realize. <laughs> that. That's pretty much what happened. Sports is rough, man. Rough. Tennis is And you've got nowhere to hide when you're out there. Nowhere, nowhere to, hide. to hide. And no teammates to come in for a few minutes it's just you and uh that was a pretty interesting one that sounds like a panic attack yeah it was like you know i overall when i look back at it i probably didn't play as bad as i thought but i i just felt like i was just getting just manhandled out there and you know it actually helped me as years went on i remember talking to jim lair was a sports psychologist helped me and jim it made it said listen you know 99 percent of the people in the crowd don't even know what the score is you know but at the time it was the biggest stadium i'd played in 
And um, I just was mortified. I got back to city quick, at least, so. <laughs> Michael Joyce. We're going to look at the men's draw. Um, do you watch a lot of men's tennis? Yes, I do. I actually I, I actually watch more men's tennis than women's tennis. Now, women's tennis, when I'm watching, it's usually like uh, watching videos of who my girls are going to play. But for fun, I watch men's tennis more. First of all, I mean, who beats Novak Djokovic this week? Yeah, I... Uh, this month, this year, who beats him? I mean, can, can anybody beat Joker? Uh, you know, it was interesting last week. Medvedev um, was the first guy in a long time who completely changed his game, started hitting two first serves. Uh, it looked like it was going to be just an... I think it was a, a set and three all, and he just decided to start going to two first serves and doing crazy stuff, and it worked out. And I think that's what sometimes you have to do against him. So you started you know, hitting 115 yeah. mile an second hour, serves. second serves. Yeah. It was interesting, but it worked, you know, and I mean, tap your hat to that. It just feels like it's like I, I even even that match, though, it almost seemed like the only person beating Joker is Joker. Yeah, I mean, he just he's so solid. He's so solid. He's incredibly fast. And to beat him over three to, you know, five sets. The one thing, just a quick look at the draw, though, I. I think uh, Nadal has a, has the easiest road. I mean, you know, I, I mean, obviously there's some good players in here, but just a quick look at it. I mean, Zarev hasn't done anything. Team, I don't. He hasn't done anything since the French. The bottom half is is, of... is, a, is I think I think Nadal's going to walk to the final. The toughest guy in there is probably Isner or, or Krachinov, but I, I, I mean, Isner could give him the, the doll the biggest trouble. I and mean, I, I got to be honest with you, I have Rafa, Roland, yeah. Milman, Kokonakis, yeah, exactly. Verdasco, Isner, exactly. Kachinov. He's going to roll those guys. Curios. I mean. Yeah, right? I mean. Rafa Nadal is a, is a heart and soul warrior. Exactly. He's not losing any of those Look guys. Look what he did to Medvedev in the finals of uh, Canada. He, uh, I mean, He's not. He's getting the final. So we got Nadal in the final, no doubt. Now go back to Joker. I mean, he's he's. Uh, I mean, obviously he's the the most solid, but he's got a pretty tough draw. I mean, you got some guys in here that are dangerous. Well, Joker has to theoretically play Club Fed, right? Yeah, I didn't look that close, but Fed has a pretty good draw, I think, to to the semifinals quarters. The problem is you're you're dealing with there's only three guys that could win the tournament. You know, I mean, it, it's completely opposite of how it used to. When you know, when I was playing 15 years ago, you had 20 guys that could. You know, when Kafelnikov, there's 20 guys that could win. Well, Kafelnikov, Kafelnikov said it on our show. He said that most of the players in the draw yeah. are losing before they even. Uh, oh, absolutely. Would you like? I mean, half some of these guys that are great players are going to go out and play Novak. How are they going to win three sets off the guy? You know, that's the thing. Or they don't even think they are. I mean, they, they bail out or they win a set and they're so happy they won a set, the match is over by the time they wake up. All right, well, let's, let's talk about what is interesting. Felix and Shapovalov play first round. Yeah, that could go either way right there. You know, anyone that thinks that the draw is rigged, <laughs> yeah. it's not. However, mm. when you see Felix versus Shapovalov right out of the box... Yeah, it feels like that's sort of unfortunate. Um, is Felix better than Shapovalov 
2020, that's kind of could be a pick em. Yeah, that's a pick em. I mean, this year he's obviously had better results. I think they played here two years ago, and I think uh, Felix was a qualifier and he had that heart issue or something. Felix best like, couldn't get his yeah. Uh, breathing. Yeah, that's, that's uh, that, you know, Shapovalov looked actually pretty good last week. He played this tournament, Winston Salem. I haven't been, I think he's a little bit of a sophomore slump, you know, which happens a lot. Um, I think overall, Felix is a little more solid. I feel like he is going to have the better career, to be honest. Um, but I, I could see them both being top 10 players. They're playing right off the bat and they're young, but that could go either way. What have you heard around town about this uh, Zverev situation? Um, and by the way, the, uh, the new update on Zverev is is that he signed with the Federer group, the Team did he? 8. Yes, he did. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but this Patricio Ape situation um, yeah. seemed like it impacted him. I did. I or, did or at the very least, he, he used it as an excuse yeah, <laughs> to play I, terrible. Uh, he, he's had a terrible year. For our listeners that don't know the situation... You know, Alexander Zverev, at the back end of last year, he won the Masters with Ivan Lendl in his corner. Um, sometime during that offseason, he had a dispute. I think he fired his agent, Patricio Ape, who's a longtime player in the game. Yeah, yeah. And Patricio has not made it an easy breakup. There's lawsuits and all sorts of stuff going down. And then Zverev insulted Lendl. Said Lendl was more interested in golf than he was in the tennis, and and then and they shut that relationship down. Yeah, and don't forget uh, Juan Carlos Ferrero had things to say about him too, years ago. Our sources tell us that the that they that the, the whole family operates a little bit immature. Yeah, I mean it may, it makes sense when you have three. You know, I don't know about the agent as much, and I'm not. I don't know him personally, but. You know, when you have Ferrero, I know very well, and he's a soft-spoken, humble guy, and I think he was helping him for a while, and and they had like a run-in, and then now you see the whole Lendl thing, so it's it's an interesting situation for sure. You know, I, nowadays it's tough because I feel like these guys make so much money, they make so much money at a young age, and they're almost uh, enlightened as these superstars before. You know, obviously he's a great player. He's ordained, great ordained, ordained as a word. superstar. Right. You know, and all of a sudden, Kyrgios, same thing. Guy makes a lot of money. And, and you know, back when I was playing, uh, you didn't have that. You know, you had to, even if you were, guys were making big money, were Sampras, legends were making big money. Now these guys are making big money at a pretty young age, and, and it affects them. It has to affect them. And, you know, somebody like Zarev doesn't mean that they're not going to eventually do it, but all of a sudden you, you work your whole life, you get to a point, now you got millions of dollars coming in. How do you, you, you have to have other reasons to motivate yourself to, to spend that extra, you know, couple hours on the court. And I feel like that hurts a lot of these young guys Th and that, girls. Well, listen, if it's the money that gave him the yips on his serve, <laughs> yeah. then... His somebody should uh, close his bank account because <laughs> that guy can't serve. Right. Well, I think you know when it's interesting in the championships. All I heard was that it was the best he'd serve when he won the championships last year. Obviously, he was indoors, but they said he. Oh, was when he won the when he won London, the Masters, when he won the finals. Yeah. Well, we were there, and honestly, uh, 
he was serving 140 and right. you thought he was never going to lose another tennis match. Exactly. So, you know, I, I don't think, and it's, and it's not as like clear and cut as like, oh, okay, he has a lot of money. He's not practicing his serve. His serve is bad. It doesn't work like that. What it is, is you, you lose a little bit of confidence. You lose a little bit of maybe you, you know, you, you throw the, the towel in a few matches where you, you know, it's, it seems like it doesn't matter. And then all of a sudden you, you lose a little momentum and then Next thing you know, it comes out in different ways. That that's what I feel has happened. I mean, maybe even to Shapovalov a little bit. You know, same thing. He's lost a lot of matches this year that maybe last year, the year before, just because everything was new. He was hungry. He he might have won. You know, it's I I don't watch it close enough to see every match, yeah. but I do believe even as a player myself, I uh, was never in in that situation. But when you lose that. Two, three percent of hunger, it makes a big difference. When you dump your agent and the agent sues you because he's got he's got a strong case to get paid on the deals he negotiated. Yeah, that's a distraction. Absolutely. It's like changing your racket. Absolutely, huge distraction. <laughs> yeah, and that's where these grand slams are interesting too because you got to keep it together the week before the grand slam and the grand slam. So you're talking three weeks. When I was with Maria. And she was getting far in grand slams. At the end of three weeks, whether she won or lost in the final, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I'm not playing. So you can imagine what these players are going through. That's probably part of the reason he ha he hasn't gone far. Hey, just to work it in television, just to work it in media, just to be in New York, going out to the USTA National Tennis Center is a grind. We're, we're, so? we're, we're, we're one week in. Yeah. We still got another 14 days. Why do you think Serena loses her shit in the finals every time? <laughs> she doesn't lose it anywhere else. How many times has she lost it in the finals of the U.S. Open or semifinal? Like three, four times? So I read it in the paper today. It's like, you don't have to just win the tournament. You got to beat New York. <laughs> it's true. Absolutely. <laughs> I remember when the year Maria won, we were talking about that. We're like... This is unbelievable. We were here for three weeks, and you know, we you go through the hot days, the cold days, the traffic. The, it, it's it's a whole ball game that doesn't even take place on the court. So, did, have you seen this kid Yannick Sinner, the Italian, the I redheaded? I love his game. Love Woo! his game. Yeah, I love it. He actually, the, it was interesting the other day, second round of qualies. Tamea was playing. He was playing on the court next to her, and I kept hearing the score, and he was down five two in the third. And I was like, oh, too bad, this guy's gonna lose. And then she, when she won, it was 5-3. We left, about 20 minutes later, she tells me he won. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And then he qualified. Great game, but great then, game. But he came back, he came off the mat, saved match points okay. in, the, in the second round that you're talking about. Yeah, second qualities, round, right. Okay? right. Third round of qualities, we were there watching him behind the, first of all, the ball that the, the the ball comes off his racket, it sounds like a cannon shot. Yeah, it, that's man. what I've heard. That's what I heard. Oh, I haven't my. seen him that close, but I heard it. That's why I started paying attention. The match was behind me, but Italian, I could hear the ball. For all our listeners, Italian, seventeen. I think he might have just turned eighteen in the last yeah. minute. Uh, Yannick Sinner, S I double N E R. And that's the name. Is so see. good, it's silly. He's playing Warinka. How good is that match going to be? Ball striking. Popcorn. Yeah, popcorn match there. I mean, Warinka, I mean, we know what Warinka could do, but, um, you know, he's hasn't, with his injuries and stuff, I don't see him as a huge threat to win the tournament. It's funny but, that Warinka won the tournament. 
That's right. It's unbelievable. Just a few years ago, yeah, our ankle he won, won the, the tournament. tournament. But I mean, he had a hell of a knee injury. I mean, you could see the scar on his knee, right? You know, from five feet away. That's not an easy comeback. What he had to do. Um, and then you got Medvedev in there. Medvedev, Joker could be quarterfinal. But you know, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb though and say, I have a feeling uh, Medvedev's going to get upset early, just because he had such a good summer. That happens sometimes. You burn it, out. Yeah. That's the Agassi That's, style. Yeah. I'm a little out. bit, you know, to all of a sudden now start off playing three out of five. I mean, obviously he's a great player, but he he was tired in that in that final of Canada. I mean, Nadal made him look um, not that good. I mean, I'm I can't believe he came back and won Cincinnati, but a Grand Slam is a totally different ball game for the men. Now now that's to- like totally opposite of the women. Now physicality becomes even bigger. Three or five, yeah. three out of five set matches. Totally is the truth. the truth. That's the truth. Absolutely. And if anybody ever says they need to go to two out of three, it's it's like they shouldn't be allowed to talk again, because that is just uh, that would be the absolute worst thing they could do for tennis. Make men's two out of three. I had an interesting conversation with Sven Gronewald, and Sven said that he thought that they should wait until Rafa, Roger, and Joker retire and then change it. Uh, interesting. I mean, I can I thought understand. That was an, it's I thought interesting. That was, yeah. You know, the problem is, the problem is though, is, is, you know, I can understand why people say it because the, the, the attention span and, you know, and, you know, especially nowadays with the kids and the attention span, I understand that. But a two out of three doesn't tell you who the best player is. I mean, somebody, a uh, grand slam, uh, two out of three, uh, there'd be 50 guys that could win the tournament all of a sudden. You know, I mean, look, you know, which people could disagree with me because those top players are still w- winning a lot. But, it, you know, it just, it would be like playing the NBA playoffs. Do you want to see the finals two out of three? I mean, you know, the best team wins over four out of seven. There's something to be said for tradition. Yeah. Um, I understand both sides of the coin. I I, I try to refrain from, you know, I, I, it's tough though, you know, especially when, you know, John Isner goes for, for a four-day, one-set match. Yeah, and he wins Cuba's game or something, right? Or um, Miami. <laughs> So you think it's you think it's uh, you think it's a Rafa Rafa Joker? In I'm going to say Rafa Joker final. I mean, Fed obviously he's playing pretty good, um, but this tournament's a lot physically tougher than Wimbledon. And last year, if I remember correctly, he had got a little tired in his match. I think. Well, he, he lost, lost to Millman, and That's he right. said, "I just want to get off the court. Right. It was too hot." Yeah, and it's interesting that 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 arena when they shut this when they shut yeah, it, it, it got gets hotter. Yeah, yeah, humid. it got humid, like super humid, and he was dying. Yeah, I don't see anybody beating Joker here, and or Nadal. I think it's going to be Nadal Joker final, and it's going to be another epic match. Um, when you've been out on tour, you have you learned anything interesting about Nick Kyrgios? Yeah, I, I actually I, I I I really like Nick. Actually, my the guy that travels with him, this guy Ash Ashcon, he uh, he was. Uh, 
I lived with him for two months in Belarus, an interesting uh, throwback. <laughs> because when I was working with Vika, we, uh, you know, we were trying to get her back from her uh, pregnancy, you know, having the baby, and we hired him as her trainer. Ashkan Rezazdeh. Yeah. Oh, good job. I didn't even attempt to say his I last believe name. it's, he's like, he's like, I think he's, I think his last name is Persian. Uh, he's Iranian. Yeah. Or, yeah, Iranian. Great and, guy, great guy. Is he, the, is he a real, is he a real, because he, he looks like a hipster <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I could show you a picture on my phone from two years ago, and you'd see him now, you wouldn't recognize him, because he's turned, I, I, I tease him, I say, you look like the Unabomber these days. He's got his glasses and, you know, but he's actually, actually a very good trainer. Uh, he, he's a smart guy. He knows his stuff. He's young. He's 22. He, he took the job with Nick. He, his goal in mind was to try to get Nick to do more uh, physical training, to do more stuff. He realized pretty early that he wasn't going to get him in the gym all day, um, so that he has a lot of different methods of help keeping him in shape. Nick knows. Ash knows. Everybody knows. Nick can be as good as he wants to be. Um, you know, I, he, he he's is actually, trying. You he's know? actually so good, it's crazy. Yeah, he's trying. I mean, he's trying. I think he's the type of person who kind of feels like if he puts on this act, like he doesn't care that much, then he doesn't have to live up to what people expect out of him. It's a way of taking pressure off. But with that being said, you know, that hurts him, especially over two weeks in a Grand Slam. Well, um, it's sad, too. It's sad. That's why he doesn't hire a coach. Uh, you know, he doesn't want to be responsible to somebody. He, you know, it's he doesn't want to do the yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I, I'm pretty close with Ash. I talked to him a lot. Ash loves him. Ash said off the court, he's the greatest guy. Uh, he'll be the first one to have your back. I think he's uh, he's like a little kid in some ways. You know, <laughs> he's got a mentality of a you know as a teenager. Well, I've also been told, my sources tell me that he has an agent who's been an enabler. Oh, sure. And I think you have a lot of that these days. It's, you know, I think his comes out, um, you know, he's so popular now and he, you know, he does good things for tennis. He does crazy things. The last match he went over the top with this Mr. Potato Head and spitting this and, you know, that that's too much. But at the same time, he's a hell of a player and he's interesting for the game. But to keep it together over two weeks, th again, three out of five, think about it. Two hours in the match. One thing I'll tell you real quick, as a player, how you react when you're tired, how you react when you're under pressure, people, that, that's what determines who the greatest are. W women, men, everything, you know. How moody do you get when you are tired, when you feel bad? You know, women, you don't see it as often because they're not, they're usually not to the point of exhaustion, mentally, physically. That's where a three out of five set match that comes in, and, and you see Nick, you know, he can keep it together maybe for a couple sets or this or that, but all of a sudden you start getting three, four hours into a match, you know, he's I, he hasn't shown he can keep it together day in and day out. Well, that's the understatement of that's the understatement of 2020. Yeah, and then <laughs> then then that, then it goes back to the argument of if it's two out of three, he could win a Grand Slam. Does, that, does he deserve to be in the history books? You don't have to say it. That's food for thought <laughs> for all of everybody out there. Yeah. Um, we're going to shut down this analysis. This is Joker's tournament to lose. Absolutely. Michael Joyce, uh, thank you for uh, breaking this down for us, and, and your insight is just um, outstanding. Uh, my man, you are released. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you. Thank you to everyone for listening. If you like what we're doing here and you want to help us keep it going, please consider becoming a patron. It's patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. Not only will you get to join the Under Review family and get unheard of episodes like Justin Gimmelstop from one week after the incident, but there are a ton of great perks and packages. Check it out. It's patreon.com slash underreviewtennis. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash underreviewtennis. And thank you to Megan Fernandez, our newest patron. Huge thank you to Bianca Andrescu and Michael Joyce. Big thank you to Jerry Solomon. Thank you to Lou Scher and the folks at the USTA. Thank you to the security guards and all the folks at the Open who keep the tournament moving. Thank you all for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Tell your poutine makers, hockey stick makers, and any Mounties you might know who like tennis. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. We also love hearing from you. So if you have a topic you want explored or a person you want to hear from, please let us know. Our email is info at underreviewtennis.com. At UR with CS is our Twitter handle. Underreviewtennis is our Instagram and Facebook. And to catch some clips from some of our interviews, check out our YouTube page. Our producer is Scott Tuft, and our music is by Brian Senti. Jason Binnick did our mix. We'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport. Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.